Nearly 50 years ago, a man by the name of Neely Fuller Jr. published a comprehensive book about racism called the United Independent Compensatory Code System Concept, subtitled, A Textbook Workbook for Thought, Speech, and or Action for Victims of Racism, White Supremacy. In this book, he said, and I quote, if you do not understand white supremacy, racism, what it is, how it works, everything else that you understand will only confuse you, end quote. Fuller's work situates racism as a global problem that systematically denies justice. This is Dr. Catherine Bancoli Medina with The Invention of Racism. The goal of this podcast series is to share the subtle and not so subtle nuances of racism in the 21st century. I believe understanding and speaking the truth about racism is the first step toward combating and ultimately eliminating it. In this episode, we will explore working definitions of the term racism. And we'll be doing that throughout the series. These definitions, the whole idea of definition is the sin qua non of scholars. And it is a scripture of power brokers. Without some form of definition, nothing else really matters. It's amazing how often we talk about racism without actually offering a definition. Many of us know what it is because we live it and we have struggled against it for generations. I am an academic among other things. And academics are very meticulous when defining and delineating racism. This is because of the multifaceted strategies that racists use change over time and they adapt to the present. The tactical behavior of racists is constantly being modified and upgraded. So we begin with institutional, structural, systematic, and systemic racism. And we start here because these are, this is the foundation for understanding racism as an embedded structure of the state. We also offer, or we also refer to old school racism, which is, you know, which is thought of as explicit or overt racism. This racist behavior is open, hostile, and in your face. The opposite of this is covert and aversive racism. This is the idea that racism is is deliberately hidden or indirect. Sometimes this is likened to neoliberal racism. One example of this aversive racism, which generally means that uh, whites mentally compile a list of things they find abhorrent about blacks as a entire group of people. And this gives them a reason to avoid 
or more effectively to justify eliminating black people, any black person, from white spaces. Now, over the past decade, the term microaggression has gained public notice and common use. Microaggressive racism is the notion that discriminatory practices are sometimes direct, annoying, intimate, and harmful, but not deemed as serious as violent forms of racism such as lynching. There is also symbolic racism when whites condemn blacks for taking a knee or sitting out in protest when the national anthem is being played at sporting events. In my book, World to Come, The Baltimore Uprising, Militant Racism and History, I use the term militant racism to describe how weapons and martial forces are used historically and in the present day to advance racial oppression. This series specifically centers the experiences of black people and anti-black racism, drawing from the historical record of how whiteness was developed and claimed and where social arrangements were created to discriminate against and subjugate black people in perpetuity. However, to be sure, the category black contains the collective experiences of melanated African descended people and also contains the experiences of non-African people as well. For the purpose of our podcast series, generally speaking, racism is the subversive social ideology or belief system that members classified as belonging to one racial group are fundamentally, that is natally, superior or inferior to members of a different racial group. When this ideology is coupled with power, read largely as state power, to actively victimize members of a different racial group, racism is manifest. Now, black studies and other scholars have advanced that racism in its purest sense is power plus prejudice, suggesting that if a person doesn't have the power to act, then this is not racism, that they are merely expressing racial bias. However, scholars have conceded that racism is power plus prejudice, and yet it is more than this. It is also a category for both belief and power because thought always precedes action. When a black neighborhood filled with homes and businesses, an entire infrastructure of a thriving community is bombed, burned, and thousands of people hunted and injured with over 300 people killed, that is racism. This was the case in the community of Greenwood during the Tulsa Race Massacre, which took place May 31st through June 1st, 1921. It begins like most 
racial cautionary tales do. A black male finds himself in an empty elevator with a white female. She screams, perhaps the police respond. We then have one of the most violent racist events in the history of the United States. The Tulsa Race Massacre is also an example of how long after the incident, racist thought continues to characterize and thus define the destruction of a black town as a race riot. The descendants of the victims have no justice or restitution, and the descendants of those who perpetuated mob violence are not taught the history. If they are taught the history, it would be revealed that there were no legal consequences, and this is the perpetuation of racism. The white mob, using their racist ideology, and, and this is very important, the opportunity fueled by racial stereotypes and beliefs, uh, economic resentment, added their weapons technology and organizational skills to destroy a prosperous black community and annihilate the citizens. We can clearly define racism through the actual events of this history. Moving forward to the 1970s, we see the establishment of the 911 system. 911 is the national telephone code in North America that is used, of course, for emergencies. When this number is called, dispatchers alert law enforcement officers, firefighters, or emergency medical services that help is urgently needed. It is illegal in most jurisdictions for people to call 911 for any other purpose than a genuine crisis. If you make a fraudulent or prank call, you have committed a crime. So, in the 21st century, what does all this mean when white people call the police on black people for no other reason than because they are inhabiting spaces that white people believe are off limits to them? When white people call the police on innocent black people, this is racist. They are flexing their racist ideology and calling on state power, which they automatically assume will support them to punish blackness. In the first quarter of the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a wave of reports that white citizens were calling the police on black citizens for literally no reason. Now, of course, this occurred before the pandemic, but there was something very, um, significant about the early part of COVID that caused this, this wave of activity. Some of these encounters were videoed and social media created a whole new nomenclature for whites who do this and participate in this and also with the associated uh, memes. In this scenario, which was quite frequent, the white person cannot sustain a conversation of equality with a black person. 
The conversation is usually one that assumes a posture of interrogation of whether the black person belongs. A black person who is not sufficiently intimidated or compliant has then committed a crime. And this should be in quotation marks. The white person then calls the police. They tell the dispatcher that they are being intimidated by a black person and that they are afraid. They say that the black person doesn't belong. They've never seen them before. They might even lie and say the black person is committing some kind of vague crime. More often than not, the police show up and the black person has to explain to the state that they were drinking coffee, bird watching, renovating their home, shopping, jogging, sitting in the park, walking down the street, etc. This practice of calling 911 on black people has been so aggressive in the United States that the state of New Jersey signed a bill making it a crime to call 911 on people of color. So this law centers the idea that intimidating people because of race, ethnicity, religion, or gender is illegal. While this is a positive step, it reveals so much about the systemic racial apparatus and, and really begs many questions. The, the threat of 911 was certainly centered mostly on black and brown people. Targeting black people this way often has little to do if anything with ethnicity, religion, or gender. Calling 911 on black people is a form of high-tech self-appointed policing. Now, just as an aside, but an important one, in Georgia, a neighborhood jogger, Ahmaud Aubrey, who was 25 years old, was stalked by three white men and killed by one of them. One of these stalkers shot, shot the video. It took more than two months and national protests for an arrest in this case. And this is an ongoing case. And, and, and often when you research this case, you will see that there are um, lots of attempts to paint Aubrey as a dangerous criminal, which couldn't be further from the truth by all accounts. But what's important here is that the New Jersey bill needed to recognize that the wave of white vigilante and police encounter deaths, the latter relationship with the police was characterized as a fraught relationship, but that's another issue altogether, also meant that whites who call the police on blacks are knowingly placing their lives at risk. Like the vigilantes in Georgia, white 911 callers had assumed a para-policing posture and because of their direct ties to local law enforcement, 
they expected that their actions against Aubrey would be commended and or publicly ignored. Racism. The discrimination of one group against another group is always based on the actualization of state power or the ability to appeal to the state for support. In the United States, we understand racism as white supremacy. These two examples, the Tulsa race massacre and the 911 caller phenomena are separated by time and space, yet they show the similarities of the racist construct. Black people are thought to be in spaces they are not supposed to occupy, or they are seen expressing a sense of freedom and privilege that they are not supposed to express. This thinking culminates in whites creating a sense of being deprived of something, constructing a criminal threat where none exists, and then using their sense of racial privilege to act on that threat. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Support for independent podcasts like The Invention of Racism is critical at this moment. In the national and global effort to dismantle racism and to establish human equality, we need as many thoughtful and courageous voices as possible. If you believe in and appreciate this anti-racism podcast, continue to download and support us. I also encourage you to use your own media platform to honestly analyze, examine, and put an end to racism. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast, then you already know, discourse on racism is not for the faint of heart. So I hope you will join me as I present key topics in the invention of racism.